0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, Christ Church. My name is Drake Holderman. I have the distinct privilege and joy of serving as uh, one of the student ministers here at Christ Church. I work alongside Peyton. She is fantastic. Uh, And I'm excited this morning to get to uh, preach from the gospel. We are in week 300 uh, of the gospel series. I'm just kidding. I appreciate you laughing for that. It really helps my confidence right out of the gate. Now, I want to begin uh, this message with a question. The question I'm posing is, what was or is your favorite subject in school? Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people who probably say something like lunch or recess, But I want to boil it down to four of the core subjects taught in most schools. Math, science, reading, and history. So I want you to identify one of those as your favorite uh, subject in school. And now, by a show of hands, whose favorite subject was or is math? I don't understand you people, okay? By a show of hands, whose favorite subject was or is science? science. All right. We got our nerds out there. It's a cool subject. I like it. Uh, but I show hands whose favorite subject was or is reading. Okay. You think you're better than us? I get it. All right. Uh, I'm just kidding. I wish I could read. Um, whose favorite subject was or is history? All right. Easy. It's just history. Okay, guys. I'm just kidding. I love history. I love you too, Ben. It's awesome. Uh, I love history. History was and is and still is my favorite subject in school. My love for history began in the fifth grade. When my mom took a business trip to Boston, and she brought the family along with her, and in her free time, we got to go around the city learning all about the Revolutionary War, the Boston Tea Party, the Boston Massacre. Uh, that's my brother and I. You might think it's the two Holderman sisters, but it's not. It's my brother and I uh, <laughs> checking out the Boston Tea Party. And I learned all kinds of things about Boston. the uh, Paul Revere and his ride in the Old North Church, it was while I was in Boston that I learned about something that forever changed my life life. Have you ever had Dunkin' Donuts? It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Now my love for history has continued. And I love history now, not just because I think the stories are cool or the facts are cool. And you can probably take down that picture now. Thank you. Uh, I I love history because history helps me have a better understanding of the Bible. And as I have a better understanding of the Bible, I have a deeper and more robust understanding of God. And history is going to help us out this morning. So the gospel series has given us the, the story commonly known as the rich young ruler today from Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31. But I don't want to start there because in the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus gives a command to the rich young ruler that might almost make you frustrated with Jesus. So if you don't understand the nature, character, integrity of Jesus, I could easily see why someone would be frustrated with Jesus in this story. And so that's why this morning, I don't want to start in Mark 10. I want to start in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 is what I'm going to read to begin us off. Verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now when Jesus lived on earth, he lived in the historical context of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had a hierarchy, a, a social order of classes that was strict and observed by the entire empire. At the top of the social order, you had the emperor and his family. The emperor and his family were by far the most powerful people in Rome. The emperor and his family. The emperor was uh, thought to be something like a demigod and people frequently referred to the emperor as the son of God. Most of Rome practiced imperial worship. So to put it in elementary terms, life was good for the Roman emperor and his family. And then below the emperor, you had the senatorial order. The senate was made up of 300 members. And most, if not all of these members, were from traditional aristocratic families. These are the Bushes and the Kennedys of the day. They were very, very powerful people. And most of the senate, uh, by today's standards, would have been billionaires. And then below the senate, you had the equestrian order. And you recognize this word, equestrian. The equestrian order received its name. Because of their wealth, which was realized in their ability to uh, afford expensive and luxurious items, such as horses. A lot of the people in the equestrian order were military leaders or successful businessmen. Uh, A man you would recognize from the Bible who was a part of the equestrian order was Pontius Pilate, the man before whom Jesus stood trial. And then you had the Decurion order. As you know from history, Rome conquered many lands. And so as to try to keep as much peace as possible, uh, Rome would elect local leaders. So they would elect the Decurians to rule over the lands that they had conquered to collect the taxes. So the Decurian order was a very diverse group of people throughout the empire. And then breaking from the upper class and moving to the lower class, you had the respectable populace. This would have been kind of like the middle class today, but unlike the modern middle class, this was a very small group of people. This rung all the way up to the emperor made up about one-third of the empire. The, the two-thirds of the empire were from the bottom two rungs. So underneath the respectable populace, you had the free poor. The free poor, a description of them from the Roman historian Tacitus, is that they were shabby people. These were people who tried to just make immediate medes need. From the Gospels that we've been studying, these were the blind, uh, the lame, the beggars, uh, the sick. These people would have fallen into this class of the free poor. At the bottom of the social order, beneath everyone else, you had the slaves. The general attitude towards slaves was that they were subhuman. Slaves could sometimes buy their freedom back, but that was not always the case. This social order was strict, observed by the whole empire. And sometimes you could ascend the ladder. Rarely, but sometimes it was possible. However, no one would suggest to you that you should descend the social ladder. It was unheard of. And so this is the historical context in which Jesus lived on earth. With this on our minds, I want to reread what I just read from Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God at the top of the ladder, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, the very bottom of the ladder, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, moments ago, I said that you may get frustrated with Jesus as we jump into the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. So before we jump in, I just want us all to realize that Jesus left a throne in heaven to occupy a tomb on earth. Jesus has the authority to tell us how to live, and Jesus also has the humility to show us how to live. So if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. Jesus calls us to abandon the old life and to adopt the new life. With all this about Jesus on our mind, I'm ready to jump in to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, the story of the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So, what we have here is a man, I think an honest man, who has an honest question Jesus, teacher, he respects Jesus. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers this question by addressing the future, yes, but let us not miss that Jesus also answers this question by addressing the here and the now, the present of this man's life. And this man, has a, he has an impressive resume. Apparently this man is a man of moral rectitude because when Jesus lists off a portion of the Ten Commandments, this man says, Jesus, I have kept all of these things even since I was a boy. However, you and I know that we do not inherit the kingdom of God through a list of rules, not by fully committing ourselves to commandments, but by fully committing ourselves to Jesus. And this was the man's problem. William Lane notes that this man, what he lacked was a self-sacrificing devotion to God. And so Jesus is gonna challenge this man's devotion. And so what Jesus says to him is, sell everything you have, all of your wealth, all of your properties, sell it all, give the money to the poor. And then devote yourself fully to me. He wanted to address this man's issue. After all, this man wanted to know, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, when uh, I was growing up, I got to go to the Tulsa Zoo quite frequently on field trips with my family, with my friends. And everybody in Tulsa loves the penguins at the zoo. I don't understand it myself. Tulsa has constructed these penguin statues all throughout the city to uh, just dedicate them to these penguins at the zoo. I don't get it. Maybe if you've been in Tulsa, you've seen some of these statues. What I love at the zoo is the monkeys. I relate to the monkeys a little bit. And what I love about the monkeys is that the monkeys do things. They have behaviors that my mom tells me I'm not allowed to do, like shake their rear at people and pick their nose. I think these monkeys are awesome. And so I started to study monkeys a little bit, which is kind of a weird thing to do. But when I was studying these monkeys, I realized that monkeys have the same problem that humans do. In many third world countries, hunters have been capturing monkeys for hundreds of years, and the way they do it is very simple. Hunters will cut a hole in the ground, a little circle in the ground, and they'll fill it with tree nuts or fruit or anything that monkeys are known to crave, and then they'll leave, and a monkey will wander by, and the monkey will stick its hand into the hole, grasp what is inside, and then try to pull it out, but their, their, their hand won't come out. Because the hole is big enough for their hand to enter, But it's too small for their fist to exit. And so they commit their fate to the hunter that will capture it. And all the monkey has to do is release its grip and it would find its freedom. And this is the same, the same is true for the rich young ruler. But the rich young ruler is captive to his desires and he would find freedom. He would inherit eternal life if all he did was release his grip on those material possessions, sell it all, give it to the poor, and then come follow Jesus. Jesus is calling this man to abandon his old life and adopt this new life. Yet the man walks away sad, leaving Jesus and the disciples. The story continues with their conversation. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, Man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, This phrase, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, has been inappropriately used to condemn wealth, and in some extreme circumstances, inappropriately used to condemn the wealthy. Jesus did not say the rich cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. However, Jesus did hyperbolize. It's easier for a camel, a large animal, to go through the eye of a needle, a tiny, tiny object than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But I want to level the playing field real quick so we can't count ourselves out of that rich category. I was doing some research, and I want to share this with you. If you make $5,000 a year, you're in the top 23% richest people in the world. College students feel good about that. If you make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% richest people in the world. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 0.31% richest people in the world. If you make $100,000 a year, you're in the top 0.08 richest people in the world. So by modern standards, most of us who have a job, a car, a house, fall into that category of being rich. Mark said the disciples were amazed. They were astounded because they began to realize, whoa, then who can be saved They began to realize that it wasn't just this man who lacked something. Maybe, just maybe, they also lacked something. And Jesus responds, I want to read his response again. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want us all to realize that the inability and futility of man allows openness for God to work. No one is too far gone to be redeemed. What man must do is expressed with his life. The words of that old hymn we used to sing in church, Take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be, swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always, only, for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet, its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And I think it's important to note the command given to the rich young ruler to sell everything he has and give the money to the poor is a, man directed to one, or is a command directed to one individual to help this man abandon the old life and adopt the new life. This command is not for every single believer. However, in Scripture, there are commands that are, that are uh, given to everyone who wants to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And one of those in, is in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. I, I want to read it for us. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very soul? And the one the, the one phrase that stands out to me in this whole story is the phrase one thing you lack something that Jesus said to the man. William Lane helped us identify that the one thing Jesus lacked was a self-sacrificing devotion to God because he had something else carrying his devotion. And so my question to you, and I think it's poignant that Jesus says one thing you lack to the man who had everything, what's the one thing that you lack? What's the one thing you need to drop to pick up the cross and follow Jesus? For this man, it was wealth. Maybe for you, it's security. It's security. Maybe for you, it's control. Maybe for you, it's popularity or notoriety. Maybe for you, it's achievement, success. Or maybe for you, it's comfort. I'll be honest and open and vulnerable, for me, it's comfort. You may not know this by my profession, but I'm a naturally shy person and I'm definitely introverted. I don't like meeting new people a whole lot and I get shy and I get a little scared and timid. I've, when I was in the sixth grade my dad was one of my principals, and this story I'm about to tell you really boosted my confidence as a kid, uh, teachers would come up to my dad at the school and they would ask my dad, hey, what's wrong with Drake? And I was like, what? My dad told me this and he said, Drake, these teachers are saying that you don't talk to anybody, that people will say hi to you, they'll compliment you and you'll just give them the blank stare and walk away. What, what's wrong with Drake? Now I've always struggled with being shy. And I still, as a 24-year-old, I struggle with being shy. My wife and the Holy Spirit are trying to help me. They're partnering together to try to help me in this and the sanctifying work that Jesus is doing on my heart. And one of the practices, my wife would tell you we get to do it. I I tell you we have to do it, is that when new neighbors move in on our street, we go over to their house, ring the doorbell, and give them a gift and introduce ourselves. I absolutely hate doing it. It's the worst thing for me. October was a bad month for me because the house on our right and the house on our left both went up for sale. I, uh, I tried to get Elijah and Macy Daly to move in on the right and Emily Mitchell to move it on the left. Friends we know that we work with so it'd be an easy month for me but they both said no and strangers moved in right next to on the left and on the right and Andrea had us go over there and we met the families and It was tough for me, but I realized that one of the men that I met was probably not a Christian. And I guess it's because of the vulgar decorations in his living room. And through further conversation with this man, uh, my suspicion has proven to be accurate. But I desperately want this man to know the God that I know. And I I feel it's important to let you know that it's not just me. There are people in my life who I've told this story to before and they're challenging me to go over there, to continue ringing this man's doorbell, to get to know him, to spread the gospel in an evangelistic effort of my new Neighbor, My friend Troy Toro has been pushing me, asking me weekly, hey, are you doing this? Are you getting involved in his life? He challenged me to go over. I told Troy that this man uh, does woodworking or carpentry. I'm not going to pretend to act like I know all the machines and everything, but he says, you need to go over there and ask that man to teach you some skills. And so I have, and he's beginning to show me all these machines that he uses and showed me how they work, And, and I'm doing this. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone to pick up a cross so that I can go follow Jesus and help this man know Jesus, It's important to have people in your life who are going to challenge you. When I was in high school, I played baseball. Coach Wood was always on me when I would miss a ground ball in the infield, not because he hated me, not because he was disappointed in me, but because he loved me and he wanted me to be the best infielder I could be. When I was in college, I took a preaching class my freshman year, and I remember very distinctly this preaching professor, Damien. He got up after I preached my very first sermon, a big moment for me, and he basically ridiculed me and rebuked me right there in front of everybody. He said, you're being lazy. All you're doing is relying on charisma. And at first I was mad. I was steaming mad. But I realized he didn't say this to me because he hated me or he's disappointed in me. No, he said this to me because he loved me, and he loved the church enough to not allow me to settle for less than I was created to be. And a lot of you know Michael DeFazio. Michael and I are very good friends. He's one of my best friends. And I don't love Michael. I'm not friends with him because he pats me on the back and laughs at all of my jokes and agrees with everything that I say. No, Michael and I speak hard truths into each other's life because we both need it. This man... This rich young ruler needed someone to speak hard truth into his life and then comes along Jesus, this man asks, hey, what can I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus tells them and the man drops his head and he walks away sad. Don't let that be your response. You need people in your life who are telling you what your one thing is, who are saying your one thing is this or your one thing is that. And when they have the courage to address this for you, have the humility to receive that from them. Don't drop your head and walk away from Jesus sad. That's the worst thing you could do. No, 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 no. Take what they're saying and follow Jesus. Drop your one thing. You may be asking, well, is it even even really all that worth it to drop your one thing? And I think Peter had the same question because Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, Man, when you abandon the old life and adopt the new life, the result is reward at the hundredfold level. For nothing that God takes from man in the old life will not be restored to him in the new life without glorious and generous blessing. It is worth it. And I think Peter's probably thinking his own story when he asked Jesus this question. When he says, we've left everything to follow you. Peter's story is this in Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And I think Peter's wondering, did I make the right choice when I dropped my nets to fish for people and took up the cross to fish for men? And Jesus says yes, a hundred times Yes, for many who are first will be last, and the last first. We started this morning in Philippians chapter 2. I want to reread what we've already read a couple of times and then add a a few new verses. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You remember that Jesus left a throne in heaven to occupy a tomb on earth. Let's finish the passage. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not only does the life of Jesus demonstrate how we should live our life in humility, But the life of Jesus also demonstrates what God will do for those who humble themselves. Jesus has the name that is above every other name. And his name, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Man, we live in a society today is saying, climb up the ladder, climb up the ladder, climb up the ladder. And Jesus is saying to us, go down the ladder, go down the ladder, go down the ladder. And you might be wondering, do people actually go down the ladder? And yes, they do. I mean, in my home church in Oklahoma, there was a family that I met when I was a sophomore in high school. And I thought this family was incredibly weird to begin with. For one thing, they adopted eight kids, four sets of twins. And I didn't realize why any family would do this. And then I got to know their story. And they realized that there was a, master, a, a, a massive foster care crisis in Oklahoma. And they were followers of Jesus who were called to take care of orphans. And so they decided to play their part. They decided to send the ladder and serve other people. And so they adopted these eight kids. Why? Why? Man, because Jesus calls us to abandon that old life and adopt the new life of humility and service. I've had the the great joy and privilege to work with Sam Martin in the student ministry for the past two and a half years. And you know that Sam and his wife, Rachel, and their three kids, Justice, Rosie, and Graham, are packing their bags to go to Japan. And they're not going to Japan for vacation, but for mission. Japan is a country with less than 1% of the people there who are Christians. And Sam and Rachel, as they they have abandoned their old life and adopted the new life, they've adopted a life following after Jesus and Jesus is leading them to Japan. They could have tried to climb the ladder of success, but no, they went down. They humbled themselves to be used by God. So very grateful to have been able to work with Sam so closely. It's been a unique opportunity for our students to have the opportunity to send someone away. But I hope that there comes a day when that is no longer unique for our church, that we would just be sending missionaries out the door like it's going out of style. So you may be asking, okay, a couple people do this, but do I need to sell everything that I have? Do I need to move to Japan? Do I need to adopt eight kids? I wouldn't suggest starting there. I would just suggest start with serving people where you are right now. You got a lunch this afternoon. Drop a ginormous tip for your waiter. Bless your waiter. If you're in a life group, man, I love being in a life group. My life group leader, Jake, he makes it a part of our regular rhythm to go and to serve other people. So let me challenge you. If you're a life group leader, make it a part of your regular rhythm to go and to serve other people in the church. If you need help with service projects or impact ideas, talk to somebody who's a staff member here and we'll gladly, gladly help you out. There's a tree out there with gift ideas for kids. I want you to go out there and grab a gift card and I want you to go purchase a gift for a kid this Christmas. If you're a parent, I want to encourage you to do something that my parents did with me and my siblings. One of my favorite memories from Christmas. My parents would pick a family. We would go shopping for this family. We would leave gifts on their porch, and we would ding-dong ditch them leaving the gifts. It was the one time a year my brother and I did not get in trouble for ding-dong ditching. It was awesome. This is a two-fold win. You get to bless a family, and you get to teach your kids an important life skill in ding-dong ditching. It is awesome. Let me encourage you to do that. Let me encourage you to pick a family, a family who needs help, just a family that's in your life group. Pick a family. Bless that family with gifts. Abandon the old life and adopt the new life. Climb down the ladder. When everything in you is saying, go up, go up, go up, go down, down, down. Not into a burning ring of fire though. Don't do that. That'd be bad. (laughs) I want to end today with with a story. Once upon a time, There was a poor man whose sole means of survival was to beg along a road in his little village. Every day this man would set out his little mat by the side of the road with a bowl on it for the alms that people would give him. One day the entire village was filled with excitement by a rumor that a generous rich king of the entire realm would be passing through their little town. And it was known that this king would sometimes give away great sums of gold to those whom he would chance to meet. So the man, along with the entire village, was hugging the side of the road in breathless anticipation. And sure enough, at about midday, the king's impressive entourage was seen approaching the village. And the poor man knew this was his chance. So as the king passed by, he began to jump and shout, and he called on the king to have mercy on him. Alms for the poor! Alms for the poor! Have mercy on me, a poor unfortunate beggar! To the surprise of the entire village, the king stopped and walked over to the beggar. What was even more surprising was what the king said to the beggar. He looked at the beggar and asked, Has your life been only one of misery and no joy? Say now, won't you give me everything you have? This was not how the beggar had anticipated things going, and inside himself he thought, Everything I have, everything I have, I'm the poor beggar and you're the rich king. Everything I have. However, the beggar realized that this was the king of the entire realm, and if he disobeyed, he may be punished severely. Therefore, he decided to partially comply with the king's request. And the beggar had a small pouch full of rice. It was all that he had to eat that day. And the beggar hesitantly reached down and took only five of the grains of rice he had and put them into the king's hand. And the king looked down at his hand and then into the eyes of the beggar and said, all right then. Then he returned to his entourage and Off they went, with the very puzzled beggar, watching them fade into the sunset, along with his dreams for wealth and happiness. And steaming with anger, he yelled at the king, curse you, tyrant. The beggar had enough for one day and retired to his regular resting place for the evening. Discouraged and disappointed with the day, and especially with the king. And the beggar was hungry now, and therefore decided it was time to cook his rice. So he opened the small pouch of rice he had, and And to his great surprise, there in his small pouch were five gold coins. One coin for every grain of rice he had given the king. And then the beggar thought to himself, Oh, if I had only given that generous king everything that I have. Church, let's abandon the old life and adopt the new life. Let's climb down the ladder. God, we're very grateful today to have the freedom to open up the scriptures together, to have the space to come together and meet together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you. Lord, let us not take this for granted. God, move in our hearts to climb down the ladder, to abandon the old life, security and comfort and control and to adopt the new life of of a self-sacrificing devotion to you.